Alrighty then, the Doing Better Podcast, episode 23. Here's the tease. There are many, many believers in the world today. As a matter of fact, the majority of evangelical believers in the world today, if they follow the implications of their theology to their logical endpoints, do not believe that the new covenant was God's highest ultimate purpose all along. Does that, is that surprising to you? Congratulations. Through the powerful providence of a benevolent benefactor, you've stumbled onto this delicious digital bouillabaisse. Hosted by yours truly, hipster grandfather, David A. Holland. Here, we explore the too-good-to-be-true, poorly understood, badly neglected realities of what Jesus actually launched 2,000 years ago. A new covenant. A better covenant, based on better promises. So... Check your religion at the door, grab a beverage, grab a Bible, strap in, gird your loins. This is the New and Better Podcast. It's a new series launch night. Uh, Turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1. That's where we're going to start. As always, we'll be all over the Bible. Tonight, we're starting this New series I'm calling Unveiled, Paul's Revelation of Jesus. And it's an appropriate, it's an appropriate thing to say of Paul. Paul really did reveal Jesus, the depth and breadth of who he was, what he accomplished, what he is in us and through us. In a, in a way that you can't really say it about anybody, about anybody else. Uh, he is literally the midwife of, of the revelation of the new covenant. It's not a great exaggeration to, to say that Paul is to the new covenant what Moses was to the, to the old. Um, the sort of the midwife of that revelation in, in the earth from God. We're going to see why that is tonight in sort of a little bit of an introductory way. Then, The key verses, I want you to start over at uh, Galatians chapter 1. Start with verse 11. This is going to be our anchor key verse for this entire series. In the New American Standard, Paul says, For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So just a couple of things I want you to notice. You know, there Paul talks about the gospel. You know, for those of us who have grown up in Christianity, we've heard the term the gospel so many times. It's just become part of our vocabulary. It's part of our, we just, when we, when we hear the term the gospel, we, we know we've heard it a jillion times that it means good news, but we also, we talk about he preached the gospel, he shared the gospel. It's just become such an integrated, cliched part of our vocabulary that we don't really hear it anymore. But there was a time when, when the term the gospel was, a, was sort of a, a fresh word. The Greek word underneath it is euangelion. 
um, or evangelion. Uh, the Greek, there's the, the V is a U, basically, euangelion. And what that word means is essentially a story that makes someone so happy they want to reward you for telling it. There is, if you look at the Strong's Concordance of the of the the first primary definition of euangelion, it means a reward for sharing a good uh, a happy story. The, the literally the reward itself is a euangelion. It's interesting. It's uh, when the the two hundred or two hundred fifty years before. Uh, Jesus came on the scene when the the translators of the Old Testament into Greek, when they were translating the Old Testament into the into the Greek language, they came to the story where you'll remember when Saul gets some help uh, committing suicide. The Israelites are being defeated. Saul is being defeated. Saul essentially takes his own life and is killed, King Saul. And a person who witnessed it comes running to David. And he's bringing David the good news. The, the news that Saul is dead. He's expecting David to be delighted by this news and is expecting a physical monetary reward for bringing the tiding that this man who had been spent decades trying to kill David was finally dead. Of course, David didn't take it as good news, but the translators of the Septuagint basically translate that where the, the man comes to him ex- Believing that David will reward him for bringing him this happy news, that they, they say it, they they use the word euangelion, in that, in that of what that man expected. We're going to see in a moment. Jesus used the word a couple of times, but it's a, it's a story, it's a it's a tiding, it's a report that delights you so completely that. You should your your impulse will be to pay the person who brought brought you that news. So that's what Paul is talking about. The gospel, the story, the happy story that I preached, is not according to man. I'm just going to pop over right quick to the uh, the Passion translation, and let's look at the way the Passion translation renders that same verse. Verse 11, beloved ones, let me say emphatically that the gospel entrusted to me was not given to me by any man. No one taught me this revelation, for it was given to me directly by the unveiling of Jesus, the anointed one. The unveiling of Jesus, the anointed one. Thus, the title for this this series, Unveiled, Paul's Revelation of Jesus Christ. The moment we see, and, and unveiled is absolutely a, the appropriate word here, given the, the underlying Greek syntax and, and wording there. The, it, it is a something that has been shrouded, not invisible, but shrouded, that is now suddenly visible, suddenly uncovered, uh, revealed. Uh, immediately when we see the, the phrase unveiled, it should possibly give, make us... Um, put us in remembrance of, of an event that happened around the time Jesus was, uh, was crucified. The veil, the curtain, that massive thick carpet drapery that basically uh, shielded or uh, concealed the most holy place at the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Uh, thus opening up, symbolically opening up access to the, to the very presence of God. 
in a new way, which is precisely at the heart of what the new covenant is. The new covenant is God's uh, opening up of access to himself for us all. One thing I want to point out is that, and just emphasize this uh, again, because it's, it's central to everything we've been, we've been teaching and, and talking and discussing, pondering, praying about. It's that the new covenant was always in God's mind. It, from the very beginning, God had the new covenant in, in his heart, in his plans, in his, in his um, um, unfolding of, of, his, of his redemptive purpose in the earth. The new covenant was always his plan. Now, that seems like a no-brainer, self-evident truth, but the fact of the matter is, is that there are the two main theological streams that have been in the Protestant world over the last 500 years don't think that's the case. There are many, many believers in the world today. As a matter of fact, the majority of evangelical believers in the world today, if they follow the implications of their theology to their logical endpoints, do not believe that the new covenant was God's highest ultimate purpose all along. Does that, is that surprising to you? Is that shocking to you? It, it, is, it is to me. Yet, there are, when the, the Protestant Reformation basically split pretty early on into two different streams of, of Protestantism that have come to be known over the years as Covenantalism and Arminianism. And on the Covenantalist side, you have the Presbyterians uh, and the Reformed Presbyterians and those kind of guys. And then on the Arminian side, you've got the Anabaptists and the Baptists and, and, and that, those all kind of branched and branched and branched into sub-denominations. And both of those believe to a certain extent. On, on the Arminian side, which ultimately the Arminian side gave birth to dispensationalism, and dispensationalism specifically believes that the new covenant is a parenthesis. It's a it's a pause. It's a it's a side detour in God's ultimate plan for redeeming mankind. You'll if you read the dispensationalist literature that which most of us have been steeped in all our entire Christian lives, it frequently talks about the the church age, the new covenant for the church and launching the church age and in the church age as a, as a pause or a parenthesis in God's plan, which then he deals with the church, then he takes the church out of the way, and then he picks up his original ultimate purpose, which is sort of a, a reviving of the old covenant and dealing with the Jewish people. The covenantalists over the centuries have essentially viewed the new covenant as essentially just an extension of the old with some parts stripped off of it. If you just imagine a kind of a, a car that has a bunch of bunch of extra pieces on it, and you pull it into the garage and you pull a bunch of the non-essential pieces of it, and then you drive out and you're driving the same car, that's that's the covenantalist view is that the new covenant is really just the old covenant stripped of some unnecessary pieces that God kept, because that there is only one covenant. The the covenantal covenantalist position is that. There is only really one covenant, the covenant of grace, they call it. But that covenant of grace is expressed in the Mosaic covenant and then comes through into the new covenant with just some of the pieces of it that are, were no longer necessary removed. 
But there is a third way. There is a third way of understanding uh, the new covenant. It's always been around, but it's, it's, its day has come. It's, it's emerging and people are teachers and, and theologians and prophets and prayers and people all over the planet are all starting to, to realize that there's this third way. And it, it, its understanding is that the, the new covenant is the full expression of what God wanted all along. That the new, that God, and, and th- this was a fundamental teaching for us right at the very beginning of, of, of our previous long series about the prophetic ministry of Jesus. The old covenant had a purpose. The purpose was the old covenant was to create a people that could get Jesus into the earth. That was, that was the purpose of the old covenant. That's why he called a people and called them a people. It's even, it's even the purpose of, of the uh, covenants God made with individuals like Abraham and David, the Abrahamic covenant and the Davidic covenant. Those all had a purpose in mind. And that purpose was getting the seed that he promised uh, at the fall that would come into the earth and undo what the enemy had done, that that seed would one day come into the earth and restore and make right what had been broken, to untwist that which had been twisted. And when that day came, he would make a new covenant. And that, that, that seed would usher in a new day, a, a kingdom. His kingdom would begin to undo everything that had been twisted uh, in the fall. So it's, it's, a, it's a vital understanding as we move into what Paul came, came to understand from the Lord was that this, this new covenant was what God had in mind all along. It's his highest, fullest, most deepest expression. And this is what Paul is saying here. He's telling the Galatians, and we're going to come back to this chapter in depth here in just a moment. But just these two verses right here are our key verse for this entire series. Let me just read it again. Beloved ones, let me say emphatically that the gospel entrusted to me was not given to me by any man. No one taught me this revelation, for it was given to me directly by the unveiling of Jesus, the anointed one. Hey friend, in the immortal words of Karen Carpenter, we've only just begun. The best is yet to come, but first, a brief word from our sponsor, me. It's page two. If we're being real, not religious, real, we can all admit that from time to time we read a verse or a passage in the Bible and say, wait, what? Or, what was that? This is even true with the uh, red letters in our Bibles. Yes, even some of the sayings and doings of Jesus are mysterious, and when we read them, they leave us scratching our heads. Those red letters contain a lot of surprises, a few shocks, even some scandals. Well, here's great news. In my new Kindle ebook, Jesus Said What Now? Yours truly, David A. Holland, has chosen ten of the biggest toughest mysteries and hard sayings of Jesus and solve them for you. As you read this little jewel of a book, you'll discover that often a little historical perspective or a slight shift in theological paradigm can take something that seemed confusing or contradictory or just plain weird and make it make beautiful, encouraging sense. 
Now, you're just a couple of clicks away from having your grubby mitts on your very own electronic copy of Jesus Said What Now? You'll find a link at the top of my website at davidaholland.com. So run, don't walk your clicky finger over to davidaholland.com and grab it. I suspect it will blow your mind and strengthen your faith at the same time. Okay, now back to the life-transforming content I'm serving up absolutely free of charge today. Paul frequently speaks of, and we're going to look at some of the instances, he, sp- he frequently speaks of a mystery. He says there's, there's this mystery that's now been revealed. This unveiling, um, this unveiling language that he's using is very consistent with Paul's use of the word mystery. So, for example, flip over. We're, we're going to see that Paul didn't come up with this uh, term himself. Flip over to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13, Jesus is speaking. We examined this passage at some length previously. Matthew 13, verse 10. Uh, he's just given them the parable of the soils. And then the disciples approached Jesus and asked, Why do you always speak to the to the people in these hard-to-understand parables. He explained, you've been given the intimate experience of insight into the hidden truths and mysteries. What translation am I reading? I want to go to, uh, that's, the, that's the Passion Translation. Let me grab the New American Standard. Why are, you, why are you talking in parables? Jesus answered and said to them, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. So Jesus immediately is talking about the fact that there are mysteries of the kingdom of heaven uh, to which they are ultimately going to be able, are going to be revealed to them, but they're not going to be revealed to everyone. You know, he's on he's on the front side of the cross and the resurrection and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at this moment. But he uses this Greek word mysterion to to speak of something that's not necessarily hard to understand, but is just hidden. It's a hidden, concealed truth. We have, a, uh, we have one of these push-button locks on, on the back door. Most of you do not know the, the, the four-digit code that gets you into our back door, but these guys do. It's not, it's not, not complicated, but it's a, it's a mystery. It's, it's, it's a mystery that's been revealed. It's a mysterion. Many people in Jesus's day and in the days in the day of the first century would have been quite familiar with a number of mystery religions. There were the Greeks and the Romans were big, big, big into their mystery religions. And these mystery religions kind of had a public facade, but uh, you you couldn't really know what went inside, what what was going on inside uh, the closed doors. They had symbolism and all this kind of stuff. You couldn't really know what was going on. But if you wanted to become a member of this mystery religion, you could be introduced to it as a novice or as an, an initiate. And then if you pass certain tests, you could become a full-fledged official member of this mystery religion and all the mysteries would be revealed to you. You would know all the secrets. You'd know the secret handshake. You'd know the secret knock. You'd know what the, all the symbols mean and all those kind of things. And there was a, there was a Greek word for somebody who had been initiated into all the mysteries of the mystery religion. It was a teleos. If you were, you were a, a novice or an initiate, but then once you, once you were in and you all, all the secrets were revealed to you, you became a teleos. So this was common language. We're going to see this 
language used here in, uh, in just a moment. Flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul told the Corinthians, Let a man regard us in this manner, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God, the mysterion of God. So Paul is stewarding, uh, considers himself a steward of the mysteries of God. Now flip over to Colossians chapter 1. In Colossians 1, uh, verse 25, Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the Word of God. That is, the mystery which had been, has been hidden from ages past and generations, but has now been manifested to His saints. Let me read that last part again. He's talking about the preaching of the Word of God, and then he explains what the preaching of the Word of God is. He said, that is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to His saints. Let's keep reading. To whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery, there's that word again, among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim Him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Paul, uh, Mark knows what the Greek word is right there, complete in Christ. Some of the old uh, King James used to say perfect, so that we present every man perfect. And of course that got a lot of people all shaken up because they thought we were supposed to be perfect. But uh, modern translations pronounce, you know, translate this as mature or present every man complete. Mark, would you like to tell us what the underlying Greek word is there? Teleos. It's teleos. In other words, Paul is saying, I'm a, I'm a steward of the mystery. I'm preaching the gospel, but this gospel is basically revealing a mystery to, to people. I'm, I'm introducing you into things that have been hidden for ages, for generations, for hundreds, thousands of years. These things were, were hidden, not, not completely understood. But now I can introduce you to them I, and, and I can open your eyes to these. I can present these mysteries to you so that I can present you as a teleos, an initiated one, a one who is aware of all of these things that have been so mysterious for so very long. We're going to be, over the next few weeks, you can kind of, Paul's revelation was stunning. What the Lord showed him was just astonishing. And we're going to be exploring some of the different aspects. There's facets. It's like the, the, his revelation of Jesus and the new covenant that Jesus became the mediator of is a multifaceted gem. So we're just going to turn that thing over and look at all the different facets of it over the next few weeks. But before we do that, I just want us to just get a little look and see why Paul was able to say in our key verse from Galatians chapter 1, why he was able to say, I did not receive this from any man. This didn't come from any man. Where do I want to go? Let's go to Acts chapter 7. This is sort of where we left off with that one, that one teaching series I did last week, where we looked at the very first sermons of the Old Covenant. We saw Peter's first Peter and John's first couple of sermons, and then we saw James preach, uh, and we saw Stephen. And Stephen's uh, sermon is, you know, got him killed. He became 
perhaps the first martyr for, for preaching and teaching the gospel. He, the entire long chapter 7 is, is Stephen's long sermon that ends in essentially an indictment. He indicts the current generation of the religious leadership there like a, like a prosecuting lawyer would, would bring an indictment before a judge or a jury. Uh, and they stoned him. And the very last verse of chapter 7 basically says that falling on his knees, he cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. Saul persecutes the church. We find, we find out here that Saul was there at the stoning of Deva, uh, Stephen. Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And on that day, I'm in chapter 8, on that day a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea, Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Some devout men buried Stephen. This is, this is sort of one of the first evacuations of the church from Jerusalem. This is sort of a pre-evacuation. We've talked many times about how there's this 40-year clock ticking now at this point. Uh, the Holy Spirit has come. We saw that in Peter's very first sermon of the, of the New Covenant, he declared of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that was so remarkable. He quoted the book of Joel, which the book of Joel, that chapter 2 was talking about the last day. And in, it's, it's funny, twice this week, this last week, I've heard someone quote Joel chapter 2 about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Your, young, your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men will dream dreams. Your old men will see visions. And said, you know, Joel, that's going on right now. And Joel said that would happen in the last days, so we're in the last days. Because that's what Joel said. But yet, we just saw that Peter quoted that verse in AD 30 or 31, somewhere right in there depending on when Jesus was born, Peter quotes that verse and says, this is that. This day, this has been fulfilled. You know, you're, you're seeing the fulfillment of Joel chapter 2 from, a, from an authority no, no lesser than, than Peter himself. But anyway, there's this 40-year window into which basically Jesus has commissioned the 11 to go make a case to every Jewish person you can find that the Messiah, the Anointed One, came. And he, he arrived and he is basically is establishing a new, uh, a new covenant. He's established his kingdom and he's establishing a, a covenant through which you can have a relationship with God. The old covenant's passing away. A new opportunity for you to have a relationship with God is coming. He commissioned the 11 to go do that. Uh, we know that judgment is coming and that God is, Jesus had already made arrangements for them to be warned and to get out of Jerusalem before Jer the, the noose closes around Jerusalem's neck. But here's a pre-evacuation. Here we are, just within the stoning of Stephen. I've got a timeline we'll look at here in a minute, but we talked about this a little bit last week. If Jesus was born in 3 or 4 B.C., had a 30-year ministry, uh, 30 years before he began a three-year ministry, then was crucified, the crucifixion and resurrection would have taken place around AD 30. We know from other ways of calculating this timeline of Paul's life and ministry uh, that he had his Damascus Road salvation experience, which is just coming up here, around AD 34, 35. Some 
authorities think 36, that we're in that neighborhood, let's say 35 to split the difference. So basically five years have gone by of, of evangelism from where we were in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost to here we are in Acts chapter 8 with the stoning of Stephen, chapter 7. We've got a four or five year period of time that's passed of the church exploding in Jerusalem. And lots of people are carrying the good news on the trade routes and to their relatives in other parts of the land as well. But the, still, the center of gravity of the church is absolutely in Jerusalem. But here, with the stoning of Stephen, that begins to change. The center of gravity of Christianity, of, this, of the new covenant, is, is, is beginning to change. And what we see here is that most of the body leaves. They scatter outside of Jerusalem, but the apostles stay behind. Uh, that's what verse, um, verse 1 here tells us. Look at verse 4. Uh, Therefore those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. Jesus' instruction to the, to the eleven just before his ascension was preach, make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to do everything that I, I, I taught you in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost outermost parts of the world. There's these concentric rings, these outer circles. So here we are, we're, the, we're at Samaria. Okay, permit me to jump in here and interrupt myself one last time. This, by the way, is page three. Did you know that I have a YouTube channel? <laughs> Don't look so astonished. It's, it's true, I promise. There you'll not only find video versions of some of my podcasts, but also lots of shorts. No, not those kinds of shorts. Short videos I've created for social media designed to give you a little dose of encouragement or inspiration. Find me on YouTube by searching at David A. Holland. Then hit that subscribe button. How about it? How very grateful I'll be. That's it for today. Until next time, please remember God is better than you think and you're more loved than you know.